Good morning. Good morning. Like I said the first time, that makes me just want to run out here and, and just kind of dive into it with that, that heavy music beat. Um, like he said, I'm, down, I'm in Honduras in Tegucigalpa with my family, who is not here right now. Right now they're, they're in church as we speak as well. This is my wife, Natasha, my youngest boy, Brian James, my middle son, Michael, and my oldest, Jacob, who just joined us. He's 19, and he will be with us for the next six months or so, and really waiting to see what God does in his life, and I think it's going to be amazing. Um, like I said, my wife is working with the Micah moms, some of the boys at the Micah house. They do have families. They have mothers and whatnot that we may know right at the time that they come into Micah, but sometimes we don't find out about them until they're years down the road. One of those young men, Marvin Soto, is, who is here, he didn't meet his mother until very much down the road, until he was actually here. And... Um, that's a story we'll get into in a little bit. But these moms who've been living in generational poverty, poverty that goes beyond their parents and their parents' parents to their great-grandparents, almost, I think, all the way back to the time when the Spanish came. And these, these people, they live in such a, a condition, a state, that they... They succumb to it. It breaks them. So we're coming alongside not only the moms, but the Micah boys, the, the young men that are in the technical program, to say, you know what? There's, there's more to life. Now get this. We're not saying that there is a better life, but there is more to life. A life in Christ. And, and sharing that hope of a future eternally. You know, because you become a Christian doesn't mean that you automatically get this bright, shiny, new, new little life. Sometimes God takes that snow globe of our lives and shakes it up and goes, bam! And we, we have to deal with that. But we deal with it in, a such, in such a way that's much different when we have a relationship with Christ. And that's, that's what we're doing on the next slide, it, goes, it starts to show what the technical school is. See, I was a mechanic with General Motors for 18 years here in the United States. Worked at some of the largest dealerships in the country, in Arizona and, and in Portland, Oregon. And then God got a hold of my heart and things changed dramatically. Um, so when we go down to start this, this technical school, which is the way it started and everything is a crazy story all on its own, just so happens that for two hours one night in Honduras, I was there and another man was there by the name of Drew Smith, who you know, that, that changed the course of my life. It's been really good. <clears throat> Allergies. Um, but you would think that we would start in the technical school. I'm a mechanic. I went down to start an automotive trade school. And truth be told, my original thought after I went to Honduras in 2006 was I was going to be a missionary to missionaries. I was going to go fix their cars. Cool. So we get down and we go to start this, this automotive program in the middle of Tegucigalpa in the city where there's no property and the hills are like this and everything's crazy. And God said, no. I'm like, what? I'm looking around. I'm looking for property. looking for property. And all of a sudden God said, look up. Look up. 
I'm like, what? I'm standing in the middle of the mica house, and the mica house is kind of U-shaped with this patio. I'm like, what? And I didn't get it. He kind of has to thump me a little harder than others, I think. But I drive home that night, and I realize that we're supposed to put a welding shop on the roof of mica. I'm like, I'm not a welder. He said, perfect. And that's what... That's where we started. But before we start the welding, before we start the carpentry, which is in the next slide, we start with the very first slide you saw, discipleship. I can teach a young man to build furniture. I can teach a young man how to fix a car. We can teach young men how to weld. We can teach moms how to bake and start a business and sell bread and break those chains of poverty. But if we don't fundamentally start with character, a character on the foundation of Christ. We've done actually, all we've done is social work. I've taken a, a thief or a drug dealer, give him, given him a trade to work his way into an automotive dealership, an electrical company for welding, or to create his own wood furniture store. I've given him the skills to become a better thief. You see, the the Bible says it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, it's what comes out of the man. A guy that steals and kills and robs isn't, isn't a thief because he still kills and robs. He still kills and robs because he's a murderer and a thief in his heart. And only Christ can change that. And sad but true, these are the young men that we're working with. This past year I had three students murdered out of the technical school. Because they chose the other side of life. They chose the streets over God. And they paid the ultimate price for it. And I pray that through the disciple classes that we had every Monday night, that that they come to know Christ and that he was theirs. And God said, I'm going to talk to you now. That's my hope. The Micah Project, for those of you don't, that don't know, has graduated 16 young men out of, out of high school. Six of those young men have gone on to graduate college. Three of them from right here in Missouri, at Missouri Baptist. Another one graduated from the University of Houston. Two have graduated from Zamorano University, and several others are getting ready to graduate from a university in Costa Rica. These are kids that we're on the next slide, it'll show our outreach, that come out of the street and out of the market. And I could have put up very dark pictures. I could have put up pictures that really make just, just rip at you. We see a lot of that. It breaks my heart. So I like to see them this way. Every Thursday night, we have an opportunity. We rent out this soccer field for about two hours. The kids come down and it took six months but they come down now and they give me their glue bottle. This glue bottle that they hold on to so tight that they'll actually glue to their upper lip so their arms, hands are free to do what they need to do. They give it to me. I write their name on it and I put it in a cooler and from three to four of the ten and year olds and under they play soccer. And for the first time that day for two hours they become sober. From four to five is the older guys that play. They become sober. So at the end of that time, they're sitting in the bleachers and all of a sudden, we get to share the gospel with them. That's what you saw in the video. 
I get to tell them that, that Jesus loves them. That he wants more for their lives than what they're choosing to do. He wants more for their lives than the culture in the country of Honduras has said, this is what your lot is in life. I've got a bigger God than that. One of those young men that used to be addicted to that glue, that used to run the streets, is sitting here right now. Know what he's doing? Pretty soon he'll receive his MBA. That's huge. That's a God story. And then we're going to talk about how does that happen? How does that happen in the lives of young men in Honduras? How does it happen in the very streets here with young men that come out of prison, with the Jubilee Project, with all the other stuff that you've got going on? How does it happen in Joplin, Missouri? People recover. How does it happen? Brings me into the message. Before I get there, excuse me. The young men where we're living right now in Barrio Buenos Aires, the Micah house, is in a pretty dangerous neighborhood. Like I said this past year, three of my students were killed, assassinated, by the big drug guy up in the, on the hill. This is God's story. This is next to, for those of you that have been to Honduras, right next to this property is Villa Linda Miller. Micah Project just purchased this seven acres that's going to house the new Micah 2.0. There's going to be a full-blown tech school there. It'll have a new Micah house. But more than that, it has space. It takes away Satan's grip on their life, saying you are confined to live in Barrio Buenos Aires in this market, and that's it. Now these kids will be able to look out their window at night, not into the sirens and the sounds of the city, but into the mountains, into the stars. You want to get a good picture of God and His power, His his omnipresence, His omnipotence? On a dark night, go out and look up. If the heavens don't declare the glory and power of God, nothing does. He has lined it all out. We look up and we go, wow, our God is big. He's huge. The same God purchased you with a price. And that takes me in to our message this morning. I want to, first before I get there, I want to thank Green Tree. I first became acquainted with Green Tree when me and my wife took our two sons down for the very first time to Honduras to see the two younger ones, if they were going to be able to cope and live there. And that's when we ran into this this youth group that was down there working at Villa Linda Miller on the school and, and I'm just watching the relationships they had with the kids and stuff and I still see some of that on Facebook and it is really, really cool. And I want to thank you on behalf of myself and my family on the Micah Project for your support personally, for your support for Micah. And I pray that, that maybe through this morning or maybe through something else that happens completely independently that maybe that one day we'll see you down there and just engaged in a, in a conversation over a coffee and a baleada about the amazing things that God is doing 
how he can take a young man from sleeping under a car addicted to glue to getting an MBA. That's that's God. That's Drew, like me and Drew talking. That's Jesus' math. That's where one and one do not equal two. One and one is seven, eleven, a hundred. The people that Marvin is going to impact, I can only guess. So I thank you for that. But the morning, this message this morning applies to every single one here. Anybody that has said yes to Jesus Christ has said yes to being a missionary. Do you get that? It's not just, I go to church, I go to this building for two hours on Sunday. You are the church. Church is not about a building. It's where we go to get filled up, to get fired up, to go live our lives. He can use everybody. There's no age requirement. From 8 to 80, deaf, dumb, blind, or crazy, and you can find each one of those in the Bible. There is no retirement from serving our Lord. There is no life so messed up that the Lord cannot redeem it and use it for His glory. This morning, what we're talking about, what I'm really going to talk about, is what it says in Ephesians 2.10. It said, and in that it says, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in Him. Now before we get going, before we get into Luke and we break that down, I am not preaching this morning on a doctrine of works. There is nothing that you can do that I can do to gain favor with God, to gain salvation from God. There is nothing we can do. The Bible says in in that same passage, it is by faith, through grace that you have been saved from death into life because of him. If it's anything that we could do, he would never have needed to go to the cross. But everyone here is called. God can use anyone. There's a song that says, no matter the choices you've made, no matter the sum of your mistakes, no matter the problems you create, you have been remade. Here's just a short list that I've compiled to give you kind of an example. It says, Moses stuttered, David's armor didn't fit, John Mark was rejected by Paul. Timothy had ulcers. Amos' only training was in the school of fig tree pruning. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Abraham too old. David was too young. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. John was self-righteous. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a murderer. So was Moses. Jonah ran from God. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Just kidding. He was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burned out. Martha was a worrywart. Mary may have been lazy. Samson had long hair. Noah got drunk. That's not all. I mentioned Moses had a short fuse. He did. You know what, when I look at that and I look at the attributes of some of those men, these great men of the Bible, some of the things that they, I think I have some of those traits. Time's lazy. Some of the things in my past definitely line up with some of that. So when we think about the people that God used, understand this. 
If you're sitting here today and you think that I can't do it because of, God can use anyone. I'm proof. So is Marvin. So is Drew. So are each and every one of you. We have a we serve a mighty, mighty God. Now you would think for Mission Sundays that I would be preaching on the Great Commission, Matthew 28. We hear it all the time, and it's a very important part of Scripture. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's like cool, but I got school, I got this, and I really don't want to go eat weird food in Honduras or weirder food in Cambodia or weirder food in some of the other places in the world. I don't want to go to Africa. I don't want to go there. I just want to go to church. That's what I want to do. I want to go to church on Sunday, and you know what? God can use that. If you allow Him full access... You used to go to the NASCAR races, and there's nothing better than getting a garage pass. What's even better is a little hard car that gives you access to everything. That's what he wants. He wants to give you that, that full access pass to him. This morning, we're going to look at part of, of that message in, in Matthew when it says, Go. That's the word we're going to talk about. Go. What's it mean? Does go mean that I, have to, that I have to leave everything I own, everything I want, and to serve God and go to some far off land? So often our picture of missions is that Hollywood picture. It is that romanticized version of going on this two-week trip and oh, I'm going to take Jesus to the heathens. One thing, he's already there. He's waiting for people to show up. But those far off places, how many people have been on a mission trip? How many want to go on a mission trip? How many want to go across the street and talk to your neighbor about Christ? That's where it lands. How many want to talk to that person that you work with that you know is struggling? You can hear it in his, in his hushed phone calls at work. How many people do you want to reach out and and reach out to him in the love of Christ. That's what it means by going. Go as you are walking, as you are living your life. As you are going to the grocery store. As you are going about your daily business. Go, but go in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Because anything else, if I go in my own power, my own authority, I fall flat every time. And there's no way we can do it in Honduras, there's no way I could do it underneath the Burnside Bridge in Portland where this whole thing started. There's no way I could have got down out of a tree that I slept in New Year's Eve 2000 on my own. It's God. So in the morning, we're going we're gonna to unpack, go in a, in a little bit different kind of way than you might be used to. I'm going to read from Luke 10, 1 through, 1 through 12, and I want you to really kind of listen to this, and then we're going to pull four strategic points out of here, and we'll wrap this up. 
There'll be lunch coming. It'll be under your seats. We'll only go until about 2 or 3. So, no. Now, in Luke 10, it says this. Now, after this, the Lord appointed 70, 70 others, and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one along the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. If a man has peace is there, your peace will rest on him, but if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wage. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is said before you. And heal those who are in it, who are sick, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, Even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable, tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. And we talked about go and what that looks like. Okay, we read part of Ephesians 2.10. It says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do a work which he laid from the foundation of time. Right here in this first section of, of Luke in 10.2, we come across that go. We come across how we're to do. We're coming across what that work is. He's laying it out right here as he sends out the 70. This is what our call is to people that whoever comes to know the Lord, this is it if we apply it to our daily lives. But how do we do that? How do we even begin? And I think that's what we got to look at. And I think Jesus gives us some very specifics on this. The Bible says earlier on in Matthew as he heals the demoniac and whatnot, and they fail to it, he says, none of these go out but by prayer and fasting. Because see, back in Matthew when all that happened... The disciples had looked at Christ, they had watched Christ, they had seen him do it and everything, so they went out in their own power and authority and tried to do it and failed. And Christ says, none of these go out but by prayer and fasting. And what's he saying here? He's saying, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers and do his He's not saying, pray for the least of these. He's not saying, pray for the lost. The lost are there. They will always be there. They will always be among us, the Bible says. What he's saying is pray for the workers. Pray for the church. Pray for the church that would be moved into, into compassion. That it would be moved to have a heart for people. That the people would step outside of their own comfort zone, go in his power to love people because people matter. Jesus was a people person. If he wasn't a people person, he would have never gone to the cross for all of us, would he? Jesus is about 
people. He says, go into the, go into the harvest. I send them out into the harvest. The harvest is, is huge. It's gigantic. It's on our streets. It's in our schools. It's in our businesses. It's to the ends of the earth. Some time ago, I heard, I heard a guy, it might have been Marshall, my original mentor at Bridgetown, but he said this. He said, if you don't love people, I wonder if you really know Jesus. It's like, ouch. So I think about that. So in order to start, so if the very first part of this is what we're called to do, and how we're to go to enter into it through prayer. Then my second point coming up is if Ephesians 2.10 calls us to action. And Luke 2.10 tells us how to start with prayer. Then Philippians 2.3-8 and Luke 10.3 begin to give us a picture of how we are to go. And when you talk about how we are to go, it says, go your way. I love that. And that's out of the NKJ. I'm using an NASB up here that says go. Some other versions have a different word there. But when it says go your way or go, I used to kind of think of that. I used to just kind of blow over it and go. Okay, go. It's kind of like my wife telling me, get out of the kitchen. Go on. You're done here. You're getting in my way. It's different. It's different. Because if you take this and you lay it up on top of Philippians 2, 3 through 8, it starts to give us a picture of our attitude. He wasn't, he wasn't just carefree with this. He laid this out very specific. Go your way. Be a, attitude. Being a man of peace. It says here, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude, and this is key. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of man, being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death on the cross. This is the premier Christological passage in the Bible. This lays it out, and we could get into what, the, what he emptied himself of and all that. And I'm thinking right now with this tied into this message, it's to empty ourselves of our pride and what we have to step into what he has for us. It's only when we step into those moments that we can experience the fullness of the joy of Christ. It's only when we step out in that kind of power that we can encounter the Marvins, the Marlones, the... Christians, the Fabians, the Bill, the Michael, the Toms, the Sams, the Susies, the Marys. It's only when we do that that people get a real picture 
of what we're to act, what it's to actually look like. Matthew 16, 24 says, we're to pick up our cross daily. Now, this is where it gets kind of a little different because people see pastors, they see missionaries, and they see all the stuff on TV, and they hear the stuff in the papers, and some guy's really hot here. This guy's got a great, a great new bent on how to get things done. So we go to market ourselves after this guy, or I'm going to do it this way, or I'm going to do it this way instead of going your way, the way God created you to be as an individual. You are uniquely created in Christ, so much so that he numbered the hairs on your head. He cared that much, and that your life is moving into that. That's what we're talking about. So to pick up that cross daily, God, my, right now, my cross is the streets of Honduras. For you, I don't know what it is, but God has something before each and every one of you that have said yes to him to challenge you to pick up that cross daily. Not take it out once every once in a while. I'll take it out today because I got nothing going on. There's no football. There's no this. And we'll get into distractions here in a minute. He says to go your way. And you know, this is where I think a lot of people get, a lot of people outside of the church don't want anything to do with the church. Because we go a way that is, that is not humble. You see them on street corners. I see them in Honduras, megaphones, just blasting out all kinds of stuff. And people are like, that's grace. That's love. That's mercy. I don't think so. It says be a man of peace. He says, I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. And when we go out, we are going into a hostile environment. This world is a hard and cruel place. It takes no prisoners. But when we go out, it says, among the wolves. Have you ever been to, you've been to the fair, right? Been to the fair, you've been over to the livestock exhibit, or you've been out driving along and you come across the meadow, and here's the sheep, and here's the little baby lambs that are all there, and they're really cute, and they're really fuzzy, and they're all nice. So you go up to the, to the thing, and you go to give them a little treat or something, and all of a sudden the lamb goes, ah! I, I don't think the lambs do that. But I think sometimes as Christians, we do. We go out as wolves among sheep. We go out with all pumped up, self-righteous, pointing fingers. And we tend to, we want to help those that we think deserve help. How did I ever get in that position between me and God? He's the one who chooses and he uses us. And if we allow ourselves to humble ourselves before him, to take down the pride and the prejudices we have, to reach out, like the song said, to the least of these. Least of these does not mean people without money, people without homes, people without food, or anything like that. The least of these are the people that are without Christ. I learned that right after I got saved. And I didn't share this first service. My next door neighbor, Alan, 
Good guy. We'd talk over the fence and all that. And he'd drive by, and I'd just gotten saved, and I was on fire, and I was listening to music. I cranked up in the garage, and he'd kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. We'd chat over the fence, and yeah, I became, I got saved. I'm a, I'm a new believer, and I love Jesus. He's like, right on, whatever, you know. Worked for Cisco, big guy. Following year, and I've been going through all this discipleship stuff, learning about Jesus. I was just buried in it. I come home from work. I'm driving home from work. This is Monday night before Thanksgiving, 2006, November, which is when Thanksgiving is. But I... I drive up and I see this white pickup parked on the corner. I'm like, what the heck? Looked familiar because in my business I've worked on some of those rigs and I go up and it's the medical examiner. I kind of, what the heck's going on? He says, your neighbor Alan, they found him. He's, he's passed away. I'm like, what? See, his mom and dad had driven in that Monday to, to spend Thanksgiving week with their son. They drove up from, from Salem, knocked on the door, and there was nobody there. He didn't die that day. Alan died Friday, lay there for three days. I said, from that. From that moment on, I'm not going to let an opportunity go by to not share the love of Christ with somebody I, I meet. And I'm not talking coming up to somebody, hi, how you doing? Do you know Jesus loves you? You know that he died for your sins? You can be saved right now? That isn't how it works. See, I had a relationship with Alan for six years. I had, over a year, I had the opportunity to go face-to-face with him, to hear what he was suffering with medically. Because another thing, that he had just lost his brother the year before. Could have been there differently. But I chose to do it a different way. Not anymore. See, it's, it's about building Relationships. It's about going into it in a way that he's not afraid, you're not afraid. The third point I'm going to get to this morning is, is this. It has to do with getting our hearts and our minds in the right perspective. The hardest thing to do, I think, for a large part, is to change our paradigm, to change the ethnocentric lenses which we look through and how we deal with life. Solomon wrote an entire book about it. He called it Chasing After the Wind. Everything in Ecclesiastes was referred to as chasing after the winds. Everything else falls flat. And in this, in, in... Luke 10, 4, it says, carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals. Greet no one along the road. What he's talking about is, is not don't take your stuff with you. The stuff you're going to need to survive, you've got to wear shoes. You've got to have, you know, robes and stuff. What he's talking about is don't 
get caught up in the distractions. Don't, gonna, don't take stuff that is going to distract you from what I have for you right now. And here, if you apply that to our lives, in, in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, it says this, and if we get this picture right, it changes everything. It says, therefore, you have been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Amen. That there gives us a picture of where our mindset should be. But so often we get caught up in the, the iPad, the iTouch, the i this, the i that. I got to have this. I got to have that. Driving down the road, you come across a garage sale and you got to have their stuff. You know what? I did that once. I had a great big garage sale. When we moved to go to Honduras, now somebody else has all my junk. I don't have to worry about it. But then my wife would be driving, even during the sale, when we're getting rid of stuff, said, honey, look what I found today. And I'm like, what are you doing? You can't be buying stuff like that. We just got to sell it. So, but it's, it's crazy. But we look at stuff like we get trapped by things of this world. We get trapped, especially today, by technology. The stuff that you have to have. If you don't have an iPhone or an iPad, you're not right. You're not going to succeed in life. Did you know that? Yeah, see the phones we got down in Honduras. Boy, some of them are even bricks still. I tell you. But it makes a phone call. It serves its purpose. Now, I'm not saying that those things are bad or wrong or anything. They're not. It's only when they become the object of our obsession that they override the boundaries of our relationship with God. If it gets between you and that cross, it's wrong. And I don't mean to throw fire and brimstone like, but we're called into a relationship with what he did. You were bought with a price. The way we live our lives should should require more than, than sometimes we give. Two hours on a Sunday. Sign up for a project once a year. It's about being on mission 24-7. It's not something you did. Missions isn't about, well, I went to Honduras or I went to Tahiti, which I'd love to get a missions call to Tahiti, but... The streets of Honduras are kind of the same, just a little bit different. But it's not where we go. It's what, it's how we work in that. Oh, it's hot up here. Whew. What Jesus is giving us is a subtle message. He's giving us a warning. The stuff we create the stuff that we want to consume, making sure that the lines in our grass are cut straighter than the guy's grass next to us, that kind of stuff, that distraction has got to go. My fourth point is this, and probably the most missed aspect of missions. Either one or the other has to be done, but seldom are both done at the same time. We're talking about demonstration and proclamation. 
And he lays it out right here. He tells us exactly what to do. <clears throat> and he doesn't, he doesn't miss a beat on it. He says, Heal the sick there and say to them, The kingdom of God, of God has come. That's demonstration and proclamation. Now, when I was right after I got saved, I became part of this organization called Bridgetown Ministries. And I found myself working underneath the Burnside Bridge with the homeless of Portland. And I couldn't go up to them and say, hey, you, let me tell you the good news. Good news is Jesus loves you. And the guy, the, the drunk or the drug addict or whatever in the blanket, he's sitting there going, no, here's the good news. I'm hungry. I'm cold. It's 28 degrees outside. I'd like some hot chocolate, not ice water. That's what we're talking about. I can share the good news of Christ all day long, but if they aren't listening, it means nothing. It's like the boys that come down on Friday nights. They're high. They're strung out. If I don't help them beyond that, they're never going to hear the good news. If they're hungry, if we don't feed them, they're not going to listen. Their stomachs are growling louder than I can speak. And we've all been hungry. We've all been thirsty. We've all been cold. And we've all been tired. The, pro the thing is, we've got ways of taking care of that. When I'm hungry, honey, can I have a sandwich? She'll say, no, get it yourself. When I'm sick and I get all stuffed up, honey, I don't feel good. Okay. She takes care of me. My wife, wonderful. I'm married up. Way up. But these kids, you know what catches their tears? Cold concrete slab. Piece of cardboard underneath a bleacher somewhere. I'm not talking about Honduras. I'm talking out here in St. Louis. I'm talking, there's some, probably some kids in some of the schools around here that go to school and everything's great. And they're sleeping in a car. It's the reality of the world we live in today. The economic situation here in the United States, and watching it from down there is crazy. The numbers and the way it's growing and changing grow, drives me crazy. In Portland right now, there are more homeless school kids than ever before. They go to school every day. They sleep in cars. You know that I was just visited a place this past summer. One weekend, five shootings. One weekend, five shootings. Biggest black tar heroin ring runs within the city. They have the second highest number, ranked second highest in the country in sex trafficking of children. You might think that that would be Tegucigalpa, right? Portland, Oregon. Second highest. So it's not where you go, it's how you go. And we all have been called to go. And we need to go in such a way that we can proclaim the gospel of Christ. That we can demonstrate His love. 
His power. But where do we get that power? Where does it come from? If you look with me up here in Hebrews, it says this. And this is where it comes from, that we, can, we are able to demonstrate His love, that we're able to pour out, that we're able to say, here I am, Father God, fill me up and empty me out into these lives. In Hebrews 4.14, it says, Therefore, we have, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are, yet without sin. And this is the part that you really need to get. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of mercy and grace. So that we may receive mercy. A lot of people stop right there. You hear that a lot. Draw throne, draw close to the throne of grace and find mercy. But it says, really, you may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. You're charged to go. We're all charged to go. You are his ambassadors. The Bible says, I implore you, be reconciled to God. And go, go out in His power. Impact your community here in His name. That's where it's from. Like I said before, missions isn't something that you went and did. It's not something that you go do to earn a little junior Jesus badge to put on your belt and say, I did my thing. It's something, it's the way we live our lives. And I want to close you with this. I was... I was a General Motors technician for about 18 years before I went to Honduras. And so much of who I was was related to what I did. Who I was as a mechanic, as a technician, became who I was. That's what empowered me. That's what made me. And what we really need to get to is the point that who we are in Christ impacting what we do, not what we do impacting who we are. And we get that reversed. We get it kind of shredded up, and I think sometimes we want to do that. Like I said, demonstration and proclamation, we can't do it without the power of God, without the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And when we live that, when we seek to live that out on a daily basis, we'll live out this quote from C.T. Studd. And it says, Let us not glide through this world, then slip quietly into heaven, without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us see to it that the devil himself will hold a thanksgiving feast in hell when he hears of our departure from the field of battle. Everything we looked at this morning, how you begin, what that looks like, where you start, how you go, the distraction, where your power comes from, it equips you to live this out. You are on the battlefield. Whether you're in the battle or not, I don't know. That's up to you. I know what he did on that cross. requires a lot. Let us pray.